This um, word nirvana is actually not really understood even within much of the um, yoga world. The term, while it is a Sanskrit term and has its roots in Vedic teaching, was adopted and used in Buddhism to talk about a state of being utterly free from all metangle, entanglement in the material world and to be free from pain and suffering. The word literally means blown out, like a candle or a light, you know, you blow it out, you extinguish. So it, it was meant to, it means the extinguishment of, of suffering. In the Vedas, it was used in connection often with other words, and it talked about the end of material life or the end of material existence. Now, most people think of it in terms of um, this, what's described as merging into this ocean of light or this white light. That is a feature of the absolute truth or a feature of God. This experience was sought after by a certain category of yogis. And when they had this experience, there was utter freedom from anxiety and fear because there was a realization of my eternal spiritual nature or my essence, my spiritual essence. And that was like utterly liberating. I was talking with some people yesterday, we had a little breakout at uh, Yoga Day, and I was mentioning, I just read in the paper a couple of days ago, there was a A380, one of these really big jets, on a flight from LA to Sydney. And it was following another A380 but it was a little bit too close. And so it hit the wake, the turbulence of the plane in front. And suddenly the plane went into a steep, like a really steep dive for like 10 seconds. That's a long time. One, two, three, still going. (laughs) And of course the reaction is, Everybody immediately, you know, many people scream. It's a white knuckle moment. You grab each other. And what we can become aware of when we see that or we experience something like that, a loud sudden noise, running into something in a dark place, you know, something that startles us. It's not just a physiological reaction that you're sort of like, you know, no big deal, your body's just doing something like a twitch. You become flooded with a sense of dread 
and fear. And that is not happening just right then and there. It is manifesting, meaning that is already there. You're carrying it around every day. You're just not aware of it. And when you're put into a predicament or a situation where it suddenly manifests, then it's kind of like, you know, like a car suddenly sliding or beginning to turn turtle or, you know, just something unexpected that happens. Instantly, this fear manifests. So in our daily life, we're often, not just often, always unaware of the things that we are carrying within our heart and our mind. Fear and anxiety and anxiousness about things, insecurity, I mean, profound conditions. When a person attained what is more appropriately referred to as Brahm Nirvana, this is how it is often used in the Vedas, one became instantly liberated from all of this load that we're carrying around because of our experience of our spiritual essence. And this occurs when people would merge into this ocean of spiritual existence. It would be described as an extreme form of happiness. But in reality, it is not so much happiness as an incredible relief from what it is that we've been carrying around for so long. But this experience, you know, it became a popular idea um, pretty early in the early 1960s when we had people visiting India and trying to pick up ideas. And there were a few people from India that came to the West and propagated certain ideas or certain types of understanding. But this experience of what is more accurately called Brahma Buddha, this stage, this spiritual experience, is not the end. I mean, people have asked, and this is what sort of stimulated, I guess, this topic. People from time to time ask, what is Nirvana? And is that the end of things? Or is there anything beyond it? And the reality is that, yes, there are conditions of spiritual realization that even go beyond this condition that is sometimes referred to as nirvana. If we have a pendulum swinging, right? It's just going side to side. It is described in the Vedas that the two points that the pendulum of human life swings between is what is called mukti and bhukti. Bhukti is the desire for enjoying this world, sensual enjoyment, diving into the world, trying our best to find happiness and fulfill things. But that always leads to a sense of dissatisfaction, a lack of fulfillment. 
because one can never be fully satiated, satisfied, fully happy from material stimulation of the senses. That uh, happiness and sensual pleasure are two completely different things. You can, you can overload on sensual pleasure. You can be going for it and be utterly miserable. Ask any drug addict, they'll tell you what, what it's like. The other side of the swing is what was called mukti, or liberation, to become free from the material condition, to be free from pain and suffering, to attain a state of, of blissfulness. But the problem with this is the people that kind of got really burned out or they, they perceived that the world was really crappy or life was difficult and then they sought relief from it. After some time of being relieved from those things, because one did not exist in a state of, of tremendous happiness, tremendous spiritual complete fulfillment, there was always this tendency to swing back again into the world and attempt to enjoy it. And we see this with so many even so-called spiritual teachers. I mean, a, a lot, I'm sorry if I'm critical, I have to speak honestly though. You will see that there are a lot of people that promote themselves as spiritual teachers and everybody's going like, oh, this guy's so amazing or this woman's so fantastic and far out. And then as their life progresses, they start like getting into all kinds of really weird stuff. And then people, because they've made a commitment they don't want to be wrong, so they excuse and go along with a lot of the crap that goes on in the guise of spirituality. And when somebody is not living a spiritual life, we need to recognize that uh, for what it is. So a certain number or a certain percentage of what we will call mystic yogis who um, attempted, often through the Ashtanga Yoga process, attained this state called uh, this Brahma Buddha, which is nowadays referred to as Nirvana. But this is not the actual term. This is just a popularized term. Or the Buddhists referred to it as, as a state or a condition. But the actual majority of practitioners of yoga, they sought another type of experience, an experience with another feature of the highest truth or another feature of God. And this was called the Paramatma, the Supreme Soul. This, there is a manifestation that exists within the hearts of all living beings and can be perceived everywhere. This most incredibly beautiful form of our eternal friend. And the majority of yogis endeavored to reconnect with this eternal friend. When one was able to, through their meditation, 
through following an, an appropriate spiritual process or path, was able to encounter this manifestation of the absolute truth known as Paramatma. One was instantly overwhelmed with a form of joyfulness that cannot be measured in material terms. It was like you've spent lifetimes on your hands and knees crawling through a desert and suffering from the sun and the wind and the blistering heat and the lack of water and then finally reaching the most tranquil and incredibly beautiful oasis. But it is not just an oasis. There is an oasis where one encounters their intimate and eternal friend. There is a third condition of God-realization or realization of the absolute truth. There is a third feature that is not so commonly known. And it is a feature of God or the highest truth also in a personal form, a personal feature that is so utterly transcendentally beautiful that when the spiritual sojourner would encounter this divine personality, there was an instant, an instant like eruption of spiritual emotion. This was not limited only to this experience, only to um, those who followed the Vedic uh, paths of yoga and spirituality. It is a common experience even amongst other types of transcendental sojourners. We see it commonly. Well, no, no, it wasn't common at all. Sorry, take that back. It was uncommon. But it was written about and spoken about in the very early days of, of Christianity amongst some of the great saints. And it was described as a condition of, they used the term beatitude. This beatitude, it did not mean only extreme blessing, but it was a form of, of unbelievable happiness that one could experience in their contemplative meditation and, and their communion, their union with God. Within the Vedas, there is a whole part of the Vedic teachings that is focused on this experience, this realization, and how it is experienced, and how it is manifest, and how one um, who has this encounter, what, what occurs. There are records of how great spiritual seekers 
have had this realization and experience. And they give a description of this personal feature of the absolute truth. And he is described as supremely attractive, that no one or nothing could not be moved in his presence. And he is so divinely and sweetly and beautifully attractive that when these transcendentalists would have this encounter, this experience, there would be like an eruption of the soul. And it would translate or manifest in physically within the body also as the shedding of, of tears, a great heaviness of breath, the standing of hair on one's head and like goosebumps. And, but it was like extreme the emotion that one felt. And these were spiritual, they are not material emotions. These are spiritual emotions. All the things that people are looking for in this world when they seek the perfection of love and they seek the perfection of happiness, there is a transcendental or spiritual reality connected with that. And so the great sages. You know, the, the person who compiled the vast Vedic literature, his name was Vyasadeva, Vedavyas, he foresaw that during this coming period of time, and, and we're talking 5,000 years ago, that people would become less intelligent, from a spiritual perspective, they would be easily overwhelmed. There would be a great state of confusion and quarrel, people fighting over anything and everything. And what was formerly passed down in, in an oral tradition from teacher to student, who in turn became a teacher and passed on to qualified students, fearing that people's memory was becoming shorter and smaller, that he committed all of the Vedic teachings to writing. And after having completed it, he himself felt a great emptiness, or not emptiness, he felt he had not completed things. And so he compiled a great, what was called a Purana, the Bhagavat Purana, which deals exclusively with this highest condition of great and ecstatic spiritual love that one can experience in connection with the personality of, of Godhead. So, um, we have like really limited time and I've probably gone on a bit too long. But what I just was hoping to share was that 
What is commonly perceived and commonly held in the world today as being the highest spiritual experience that is sometimes called nirvana? It is not. It is not the highest experience. And there are countless um, chronicles of great spiritual um, personalities who have had that experience and became drawn beyond it, attracted beyond it to these features such as the personal feature of God known as the Lord Paramatma, the Lord of our heart or in our heart, and this other feature, a personal feature of God known as Bhagavan. And the experience that these transcendentalists would have in relation to these three types of experience they talk about. And once they have attained this third experience, which I spoke of, there was no going back. It was impossible to give up and go back to anything that they had ever experienced before. So in short, is there a state beyond nirvana, and yes, it is. And it is actually called prema. This was the term. This word prema does not, it, it means of a divine form of love. It is not a love that is experienced and exchanged with personalities of this world. It is so divine, it is so transcendentally ecstatic that when a person was able to experience it, they felt there was no need for anything more. They draw this comparison that the happiness that one will experience from nirvana, this, this experience, Brahma, Buddha stage, they have compared it to the amount of water in the hoof print of a cow compared to the amount of water in an ocean that is the ocean of prema. And this is not just some fanciful idea. This is not some poetic exaggeration. The people that have attained this condition were amazing personalities, incredibly intelligent, and just so perceptive. So I would just thought I would share that with you this evening. <laughs> How was that? Sound good or what? Yep. So there is a statement in the great Chaitanya Mahaprabhu 500 years ago. He is described as the father of this Kirtan movement. He was the one that really instituted it in this age. And he said that there is a seed within the spiritual heart of all living beings. And just as within a seed there is a plant, all you have to do is water it and treat it properly. And that, you know, a gigantic tree can manifest from a tiny seed. And so the sages, they talked about it. There is a tree in there, you just can't see it. When you apply water 
and you put it in a fertile growing environment, now the tree will manifest. In the same way, within your heart of hearts, there is this seed, the seed of prema, of actual love for God. And when one waters it with this transcendental sound, this spiritual sound that we use in mantra meditation, this is the watering of the seed. And without learning from any other person or any external source, simply by watering it with this transcendental sound, this tree of love for the Supreme will actually burst forth from within the heart and one can attain this highest spiritual experience by learning how to use this spiritual sound. Okay, so with that we will chant a little. I'm not going to ask any questions because it's kind of late. But if anybody has a question and you'd like to ask, then feel free. So I, I will use the Maha Mantra. This sometimes called the Hare Krishna Mantra. This word Krishna, it actually means the all-attractive, the all-attractive Lord. That is the meaning of it. So it is an appeal to this all-attractive Lord to manifest within my heart and allow me to awaken my natural love for Him and to experience that transcendental state known as Prema.
Thank you.